So thank you all for coming to Cock Talk. He has trouble counting change with the with the with the hands thing. Wait, wait, stop. Sorry. Yes, but I don't yeah. think that Dana Carvey's movie um, coming out at that same time was really that big a problem for our country. I still don't know why you're making such a big deal about September 11th, 2001. I mean, I fucking hate you. Well, you know, they don't necessarily need to be anathema, but they are definitely on different ends of the spectrum. Oh boy, how? See, I have every, a genetic predisposition every, against redheads, so because yeah, because you are one, right? Yeah, combustion. Yeah, we've yeah. heard it before. Yep. The only time I change the setting so, is when so, I take the okay. uh, hair trimmer down to the nether regions. Like that's the only time. Other than that, it's all just a two. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just don't How about you all? I'm joking. I use beat. After the four Gospels, what's the next book of the Bible? Acts. Okay. And after that, it's Romans, isn't it? I'm drunk. Um, yeah, Romans. Okay, yeah. Yes. Okay. And if you look at the 15th chapter of Romans, okay, uh, you will find that it actually mentions uh, the ability to arm yourself. That's why it's AR-15. Thank you. Checkmate atheists. And, and anytime there's action in the ring, Scott Hall is taking all the bumps because Kevin Nash kind of sucks as a worker. This is a Geek History of Time, where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I am a world history teacher uh, and part-time remedial reading teacher uh, here in Northern California, currently doing my job over the internet. And uh, I am actually capable of doing my job over the internet, contrary to what some people recently may have tried to tell Damien and myself. Uh, sorry, that's very inside baseball, but it still pisses me off. Um, and, um, I, in, in more geeky news, um, and as a, as a bright spot in the midst of a whole bunch of other things, I, uh, figured out what I'm going to be getting myself, uh, as my gift to myself for my birthday, uh, this year, uh, going to be, uh, picking up another lightsaber. Very nice. Uh, because I found uh, rebelsavers.com, who have not paid us anything for the plug I'm giving them right now. Uh, but they have a, uh, a model available that is, in my opinion, dead sexy and uh, well within a price point that I can pick up at this point. So I'm very much looking forward to that. And who are you, sir? Uh, I'm Damien Harmony. I am really curious now of, of what rebelsavers.com has that you find so sexy. I am a Latin teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, probably next year I'll be a Latin and history teacher uh, for reasons that are infuriating and needless. Uh, but I am currently a yes. Latin teacher. I'm doing so at a distance. I'm doing a damn good job. I'm probably the best Latin teacher in my district uh, by far. Um, wait, yes, wait, yes. Haven't you mentioned before that you're the only Latin teacher in your district? Yeah, but that was more of an Easter egg for people who listen to all the shows. So apparently oh, not now, but yeah. Okay. Oh, well, well, you know, spoiler alert. <laughs> hey, but yeah, I'm a Latin teacher up here in Northern California. I am not buying myself a lightsaber, no matter how badass they look. And oh my God, they look badass. Uh, but <laughs> Oh man, I I'm curious which one you like best. Uh, the Justicar. The what? 
Justicar. Justicar. I will look. Um, yeah, but okay. uh, so yeah, I am not going to do that. I was, however, thinking about uh, spoiling myself um, and paying off all of my divorce. Okay. So you know, we each have. Do you? You know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's me. All right. Yeah. All right. So. <laughs> Very cool. Actually, I was considering getting uh, another uh, another Woodrow. Um, the Cristocello right. has been calling me, and she yeah. is a a beautiful sounding uh, uh, muse. So oh yeah, may yeah, well no, be doing a... that. And since I'm learning how to play chords, I can play backup for you, sir, with four strings yes. while you play you the go. melody on the two on, on the on two or three. Yeah, yeah. very so, cool. Anyway. Uh, yeah. so I'm off duty tonight. I get to just you drink are. and listen. And with yeah. me drinking, it just means I have to pee more. I don't get the benefit of getting drunk. Uh, yeah. but luckily I'm wearing my dark pants so I can stick around. <laughs> <laughs> and there folks, you, you have gotten a sample of the level of our general maturity here. So there you go. Yeah. what you got for me yeah. tonight? Uh, well, so I, I'm, I'm going to open with a question for you. Okay. So... Uh, we are uh, both role-playing gamers mm-hmm. as as a hobby, you know, a, a, a branch of geekdom that we have in common. Yes. Um, and, of course, we met through a Scion game, which mm-hmm. is a pretty niche thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, for re- real quick, what, what, is, what is the longest role-playing campaign you've been involved in. And I, I think you've shared the story here before, but it's it's worth repeating because it's awesome. Yeah, uh, I was in a Star Wars West End Games. Uh, that is the D6 Star Wars. Um, I think it's the best, the most Star Wars that Star Wars role-playing games are, but it, it's entirely possible. That's because that's what I cut my teeth on. But I was in a West End Games Star Wars game uh, that was set between episodes uh, three and four. Um at a time where episodes one through six were the only things that had come out, and there was a little bit of the Clone War. Like, we started in, well, I'll put it this way. It was a 15-year game that ended in 2015, which means we started before episode three came out. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, it was, and it was, here's the thing. Same characters, same storyline, same group. For 15 years. They saw me through two marriages. Uh, wow. Yeah. They saw me through as many marriages as I have degrees, come to think of it. Uh, like, yeah. I started yeah. playing that game before I was a teacher. Damn. And it was every every week for roughly uh, 12 of those 15 years. It was every week. Wow. Yeah. And there were a few Damn. hiatus, but by and large, well, yeah. it was that. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So in my own case, um, and we're, we're going to kind of come back to this a little bit, but the, the longest running, uh, single storyline campaign I've, I've ever been in was, I want to say about three years and it was a D and D game. Okay. And in my own case, uh, it was, uh, really instrumental in, kind of helping me cope with uh, the aftermath of my divorce. Mm. Okay. 
Um, it was, it was kind of the very first thing I did that was really genuinely getting together with a group of people and being out and social. Um, and I, I had been spending a certain amount of time cocooning. Okay. Prior to that. Wrapping yourself in a blanket and being a total mess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, and that game gave me something to look forward to. It was a once a month game. Mm Mm-hmm. Because uh, most most of the uh, group was either in Livermore or other parts of the Bay Area, and me and one of my college buddies and his wife were here in Sacramento. Okay, and so it's a fair amount of coordination tra- needed. Yeah, yeah, travel, yeah, travel distances meant we we got together once a month and we did it. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was it was a three point five game. Okay, okay, okay. so D D edition three point five. Now, what's interesting is that's the longest running single storyline campaign I've ever been in. But I would say the longest running gaming group I've ever been part of mm-hmm. is still ongoing. Um, and and like any kind of long running, you know, jam band uh, members have joined and left and come back. I'm one of the ones who's left and come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I can I can pretty much say that I've been playing with the same dungeon master and several people in the group, uh, since I was in college. Wow. And that, uh, that, that has changed editions over time, obviously as the, as the game has changed editions. Um, but we're, we're back right now, uh, playing in a second edition game. Wait, you went backward Uh, 1.5 editions. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, well, actually, we went back farther than that because, of course, now uh, if we were up to date, we'd be in fifth. No, but from so from your starting point, though, or was that a different? Oh, uh, this is no, a different group. The, the the college the college game actually started when second edition was, uh, you know, still the the standard. Um, and so that experience, uh, the 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 experience I've had as a as a D and D guy, mm-hmm. like. I enjoy a lot of other games. Uh, I enjoy a lot of other games, but I, I always wind up coming back to D and D. It's it's the first one I ever played. Started mm-hmm. playing it when I was nine, and you know it's 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 home. It's it's I, my you know I I totally get that because I think that Star Wars is that for me. I do um, because like while I did play D and D and and stuff like that, this was like. There was a group that existed prior to this group um, that I played with for, I think, two years until one of the members mm-hmm. died, and then I got married, and and on and on and on, and then I ended up moving, and that that kind of killed it. But um, but this Star Wars was kind of my first real entry into taking seriously role playing games, like enjoying mm-hmm. them fully instead of just like, oh, I'll join your one off. I'll be the the you know, I'll be the 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 Genasi dwarf uh hybrid who has sex with sheep everywhere we go. Like I'll be that guy. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then, you know, but with Star Wars I actually I think I same thing. It was my first love, as it were. And so Yeah. You know, come back to it a couple times. In fact, and sorry to interrupt you, but um, my children and I play the Marvel role-playing game now 
which they're crazy <laughs> why, for. Why why you would inflict it that? works. It actually works. Okay. If you have a good DM, you can make a system work. And this one totally works. I'm generous right. with the karma too, you know. Okay. But well that's yeah, that's it important. helps. It's really important. Yeah. It's so restrictive yeah. otherwise. It's like you will get no character <sighs> advancement at all. Um yeah. I mean it still sucks as a system, but but they really, really have liked it. <laughs> My son okay. pulled a a barge using his magnetic abilities in his armor. Pulled a barge mm-hmm. into Modok, driving Modok's face into the uh, into the grass all along the park because he got mm-hmm. hit that hard. And then they arrested Modok. Like that's cool. That works. All right. So yeah, no. Then points, we also play for taking down Modok. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They got fifty points suck. for that. Um, nice. But uh, then they, we also play uh, Star Wars. Uh, but yes. their first game, the the West End games too. Uh, but their very first game uh, was D and D five E, and I wonder if my kids will come back to which one of these three things they will come back to in their adult life when they do like we do. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, no, it's 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 a meaningful question. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, I I think I think there's probably something to the argument that like you know we all we all as gamers are going to have our comfort food. Mm-hmm. Um. And so <laughs> as gamers, we all do have comfort food. This is true. Yeah, I, boy, I no would way. eat uh, one of your uh, cinnamon twists every time. Yeah. If, yeah. If we were. Yeah. And remind myself <clears throat> yes. that I didn't like them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, I, I got to make sure. Yep. Do I do I like them now? No. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and that was fine. I was OK with that because that, you know, left that's, that's more of them for me to, yeah. you know, get fat eating. <laughs> so. <laughs> Totally, and and now of course this is a complete tangent, but of course now uh, Mrs. Blaylock and I are are on a a, a diet right now, mm-hmm. and um, I would commit a major felony for a cinnamon roll. I like, have a list of school boards. I, I'm not um, going to. I say... will gladly give you cinnamon rolls <laughs> in exchange for a good fonging of certain school board members. <laughs> We could do it per item I, or I, per assault. You know, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you don't hell you, at this point. Yeah. With, with, depending on the target, you don't even need to give yeah. me a cinnamon roll for that. But now, like, for the purposes of this podcast, that was a yes. joke. Yes, of yes. course, yes. of course, yes, yes, totally kidding, mm-hmm. totally <laughs> kidding. Uh, um, but um. You know, and and part of what winds up being our our gaming comfort is we develop an attachment to a rules set. Yes, and that's and that's and that's fine, and that's great, mm-hmm. and that's and you know, you do you and all that. But the problem is, um, it it becomes a problem mm-hmm. when you wind up getting into a virulent ugly flame war disagreements in social media or have a gaming group get disrupted uh, because because one group of people really likes one rule set and somebody else thinks that rule set is is heretical and anybody uh, who, who wants to play it should be in fact burned at the stake oh the catholic doing the 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 addition wars it makes so much more sense now <laughs> And the Catholic doing the one of what the Jedi should have been also makes more sense (laughs) because fuck that Reformation Jedi shit, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like the Presbyterian Jedis. Screw them. 
You know? Yeah, no, the, yeah, no. The funny thing is, I'm I'm the Catholic, but I fully believe in no, no, reform the shit out of the Jedi Order. Yeah. Um, well, there was no, a no, Counter Reformation. Yeah. There, there was there. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> there was also and, Vatican II. So yes. Yeah. 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 So. In any event, real real uh, quick, I, I'm sorry, I have to yeah. interrupt you with this, and and maybe it's yeah. because like I actually got a little rest, um, but uh, there was at a board <laughs> so meeting nice. that friend of the show Tessa and I were at last night. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there was, uh, <laughs> it was so good. Uh, a person uh, was reading, um, you know, uh, announcements and stuff like that, and they announced that there would be, I forget exactly what. But at the Trinity Pescatarian Church. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it must be the one based on the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. I hope they serve sushi. Um, <laughs> Pescatarian. Like. Uh, it, it totally fits, though. It's the Christian yeah, fish. Yeah, no, it, you it, know? It, it, I mean, on the one hand, yes, it does. On the other hand, like, can you can you get somebody to do the reading who actually knows like how to read? Say Presbyterian. Yeah, it would be. It'd be you good. know, like like really, and God. and look at the word Presbyterian. Yeah. Like, if you if you had to stop and sound it out. How the fuck do you get pescatarian? From, you know, like you're teaching a remedial reading class. You know how kids do struggle with decoding and how that works yeah, well, its way yeah. in. And it's goddamn funny. Like as long as you have yeah, a sense yeah, of humor yeah, about yeah. saying pescatarian, you know, yeah. like or like yeah. my little brother used to say, esoteric, you know. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, it, my daughter loves that story about her uncle. By the way, because sure she she says things all the time that are wrong because she read them before she said them, kind of thing. You yeah. Know? So, well, yeah. So okay, uh, I, I think I prefer that pronunciation. Actually, it's fun. I yeah. gotta say, this gives me a really good idea because um, J.K. Rowling has has outed herself as complete and total trash. Um, yes, and so I'm kind of uncomfortable sorting things into Hogwarts houses anymore. Um, a little bit, but yeah. I, you know, I'm still I can still say like maybe you know the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, which one is this person most like? But um, that's still problematic for me. But why not okay. sort Jedi into various Protestant sects? Oh shit! <laughs> right? Who would be the Baptist? <laughs> oh, Yoda. Oh, I was thinking Mace Windu. Uh, could be. You know, because he gets quoted um, I, as, I, "And you will know that my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon <laughs> you." Upon you, yeah. Well done. Which, well done. by the way, that used to be what William thought Mace Windu said. Because he would, with really? his toys, yeah, with with my son's toys, he would be playing. He's like, well, what does he say? And I was like, oh, that's Obi-Wan Kenobi. He says, hello there, which means that he'd be like a Seventh-day Adventist going up to everybody um, on his bicycle. Oh, man. <laughs> and then, uh, and so. No, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue. I think, I think Obi-Wan Kenobi is, is a frustrated Methodist. I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know. Hello so there. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but then he held up his Mace Windu doll, uh, you know, action figure doll, whatever. Um, and he held him up, and he said, "What does he say?" I said, "Oh, that's Mace Windu." He says, "And you will know that my name is the Lord, <laughs> is the Lord. when I lay my vengeance <laughs> upon you." Yeah. And my son has a tremendous memory, so I heard him say that when we were lightsabering one day, and he's attacking me, saying, <laughs> "It was awesome." 
Yeah. Yeah, I can I can I yeah. can see that being a moment where you'd be like, I am really, really proud. Yeah. And also what have I done? Oh no. There was no what have I done. Well, yeah, this well, is totally I mean, appropriate. Talking, I'm if, fine. If it was yeah. Me, yeah, yeah. If me, any normal human me, had done what, this. What have I done? <laughs> but yeah. Okay, so um, Kiati Mundi would be a Presbyterian. Doesn't really do much, sits there and listens all the time. Yeah. Happy to wait. Yeah. 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 Okay, I've totally yeah, no, derailed okay, your conversation. Yeah, yeah, no, but, but, yeah, but, but, you know, write that down, though, for a future yeah, episode. Really, you know what? I'm going to email that, that to the, us right now. Be, yeah, yeah, that can be a hell of a lot of fun. So, but what I what I want to what I want to talk about today, tonight, mm-hmm. is um, is it, you already you already used the the phrase. I want to talk about the edition wars, um, because. Over the course of D and D's life, in particular, I mean, there there are other games that have been through multiple editions without anything like this happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cyberpunk role playing game uh, started out set in the year 2013, and then several several years after the original game, they, the Artel Sorian came out with Cyberpunk 2020, mm-hmm. which streamlined the combat system, I think, to its detriment, but whatever. Um, and, and, you know, simplified a lot of stuff that was, that was kind of overly complicated in the first, in the first go round. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that happened and everybody playing cyberpunk went, okay, this is awesome. And my friends and I clued together how we could use the original Friday night firefight rules with it. And we were fine. Um, uh, the, the world of darkness games are now in a, they're kind of being reborn, mm-hmm. uh, but they're in you know a third or a fourth edition now. And again, there's no there's no rancor within the community between you know people who want to play. No, no, we're we're playing the original first edition of Mage, and you're playing the fourth edition of Mage, and like you know, fuck you. Right. That doesn't happen with other games, but with D and D, it 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 really did happen. Um, and and within online communities for uh, for for the game, uh, it it turned into a really divisive kind of thing. And and you know, I think I I feel like the introduction of fifth edition has has at least kind of papered over some of that. But there you can still you know see some some people who are still you know, kind of, kind of butthurt about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting phenomenon. I kind of want to get into it and I want to get into at the same time, how the game, uh, uh, evolved with the overall culture. Okay. Like, like I'm, I'm here for that. What, what the forces were that were pushing on it. And so, you know, that leads to another question, which is, if you were to look at a game and say, "Oh, okay, this is D and D," what would be the mechanical things? Not not so much the setting, okay? Because you know, high fantasy, like everybody does, high fantasy, there's, Euro there's focused, less, less, yeah, yeah. There's you know, there's all kinds of of high fantasy, low fantasy, dark fantasy, like like everybody does fantasy setting stuff, but mm-hmm. mechanically, what to you makes D and D and D what parts of the system there's got to be a D 20 for your attack. Okay. That has to happen. So, and then you use a separate polyhedral die for your damage. Okay. That has to happen. 
Um, okay. You said don't mess with setting, but I, I, this might fudge that line a little bit. There needs to okay. be magic in there, or at least rules okay. for magic. Okay. Um, cool. There does not, you know, in my mind, it, I grew up with D&D as being theater of the mind. Okay. Miniatures didn't come into it until 3.0. Okay. And That's so fair. I would say miniatures are optional um in my in my D- now nowadays of course they're like pretty crucial like the the rules are written around that which is interesting yeah. cuz it's kind of come full circle around like its beginnings like the guys who yeah. began it but i would say that it was more theater of the mind um uh i would say let's see you need rules surrounding magic um you have rounds you need okay. initiative initiative exists okay. um okay. which and uh initiative is is modified randoms so random number generator but modified okay. by various aspects of you know your your character there's different ways to modify it <laughs> like the alertness feet yes yeah. if you're playing fifth like hell yeah it, why not come come on yeah, yeah. uh so um which is funny because when i played D 3.5 and 3.0 uh improved initiative gave you a plus five and i never took that as a feat and feats were far more prevalent in oh, that I'm game. Gonna, I'm I'm gonna get into that. Good, good, good. Okay, That's so a big thing. good. All right, so you need a d20 to hit, a separate die for damage. You need rules governing magic. You have turn-based initiative, determined by modifying a random uh, number. Uh, and uh, the final thing, because I would say that there's five things that that truly define it. Um, the okay. final thing would be um, that you have hmm and when it comes to combat largely okay? okay and i think you can i think you can build outward from combat into the other parts of any role playing system cuz combat yeah. is where you need to get granular the combat is um 6 second rounds i there's there's something really important about that to me um okay. in D&D i don't quite know why um, but I do find it fascinating that D and D has always pushed the six second <clears throat> round as far as okay. I can remember. Okay. So there you go. You would be burned as a heretic by some of the people in, in, in truly oh, OD uh, yeah. fora because in, in first edition AD and D the combat round was actually a full minute. Each segment was six seconds and the round was divided up into 10 segments. Is that the one where, because, like, based on your because, weapon, you because, had to roll and you were on the speed chart and stuff like that? Yeah. 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 That was actually because, kind of a cool thing about Because about Gary that. Gygax. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is the is the short form answer there. But I like that because then you could be the guy with two daggers and you could yeah. stand up to the guy with a sword. Because you're poking him 30 times by the time he takes your leg. You've already ventilated him. Yes and no. Yeah, I mean, within within no, I yeah. Mean, yeah, there's but limits. Yes. but yeah, it does no, allow I mean. for like, hey, I want to be the guy who's very lightly armed, but I'm gonna attack four times to your two. Yeah, that matters. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but anyway, oh, yeah. okay, okay. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, all right. Um, the one other thing I would throw in there mm-hmm. is it has to use a hit point system. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely, hit points. And, yeah. uh, yeah, well, you're rolling to hit, so there's the implication that there's a difficulty number to hit. Yeah, and yeah. armor class, the, the way the way armor operates is is mm-hmm. definitely an artifact of that system. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. All right, 
so so that's a pretty good pretty good set of set of set of descriptors Mm -hmm. and um what's interesting about that is at the very very outset of the game not all of those were part of it as we already said with the six second rounds um the game actually evolved into that Mm -hmm. over time now the very first rule set for dungeons and dragons Mm -hmm. uh, is is nowadays referred to as OD&D and there's like a whole because there's an internet community for everything. There's a whole internet community mm-hmm. uh, for guys our age and you know somewhere between five and ten years older than us mm-hmm. uh, who who were there at the beginning, who were playing the original edition of the game, uh, uh, who who have developed their own throwback games to try to get the feeling of what OD and D felt like. Okay. Why would they want to get the feeling of that? Because it's their comfort food. Because when they okay. were four, okay. because when they were when they were fourteen, fifteen, okay, that was that was what they did. And I mean that's that's my explanation for it. They they would probably argue that there's some kind of you know virtue to the system that mm-hmm. that you and I don't see, right? Because it's not our thing, you know. But yeah. So, so anyway, the, the very first rule set was published in 1974. It's often referred to as the Brown Box or uh, OD&D, original D&D. Mm-hmm. And it was based on a, a wargaming set of rules that uh, Gary Gygax was, was involved, either had developed or was involved in developing called Chainmail. And um, the, the idea had been, okay, well, you know, we're, we're playing these games that are that are largely historical. And so Gygax then said, well, you know what? Let's see. Let's see what we can do if, if like, uh, what if we want to have the Romans fight a dragon? And he came up with some fantasy rules for that. And, okay, well, what if, what if the Goths had a wizard and came up with some rules for that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, very early, early spells like Fireball and Lightning Bolt were some of the first ones because again we were looking at you know what if you had a wizard on the battlefield and that developed into well you know what if what if i want to play as that wizard or what if what if i want to play one of the soldiers and it turned into the very first beginnings of what we now would call a role-playing game mm-hmm now the interesting thing about it is it was it was published on a shoestring budget. They did uh, they printed a thousand copies with a printing budget of two thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, how many pages were these rules? Uh, I'm trying to remember somewhere in storage ballpark back for me. back at home. Ah, uh, I want to say, well, it wasn't it wasn't a full size book. Okay, so it like, came in a little, it came, came in a little, little booklet. So, okay. uh, but zero to fifty pages. Booklet was yeah, okay. yeah, it was, it was yeah, yeah, less than fifty for sure. Um, and the thing is, uh, the very first set of rules for OD and D actually assumed that players, number one, were familiar with the measuring systems from Chainmail. Because it used Chainmail's systems of measurement and movement and that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it also actually required uh, that that players uh, have uh, a a separate game from another publisher 
mm-hmm. you were going to do anything, if you're going to do anything outdoors in the wilderness, you had to have a copy of Avalon Hills outdoor survival game. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and there were only four classes or I'm sorry, originally there were only three classes. I'm, I'm misreading. You could be a fighting man, a magic user, or a cleric. A fighting man. Fighting man. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Tells you tells you something about a whole series of assumptions, right? Well, just the idea that, like, you're not a fighter, you're a fighting man. You know, it's like, I don't know. It, it just sounds so quaint or like, like someone who doesn't quite understand English. Yeah. Using ninety yeah. percent of the language correctly, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like I like I like that analogy. Let yeah. us go drink some beers, you know. It would yeah. be, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Let us consume mass quantities, mm-hmm. maps. <laughs> um, which it was seventy four. So who knows? Yeah, um, yeah. And and so there were only uh, four playable races: humans, elves, dwarves, and hobbits. Oh, so they're totally which, ripping which, off. Which oh, oh yeah. yeah. Which which they which they completely backed off from uh like as, as soon as the Paul Zanes company uh contacted him about uh yeah, no, that's not a word you can use. Mm. Uh, very quickly turned into halflings. And that's there when were, you had stout fellow and I remember yeah, that. Har- yeah. Harfoot, Harfoot, Stouts. Right. Yeah. And uh, there were there were only a few monsters described in the original rule set. And uh, again, because the total budget for publication had been two thousand dollars to try to print a thousand copies of it, uh, the total art budget was two hundred bucks. And they went to members of the writing staff and their family members and said, "We will pay you two dollars to three dollars a piece." <laughs> drawings to put in this thing and when we go into another print run Mm -hmm. we will pay you that commission again now in fairness two to three dollars in 1974 would buy a family of seven at burger king like dinner yeah you know so you'd like Um, you know there might be a little bit of exaggeration there maybe but you know a family of five dinner at burger king for three bucks absolutely you know oh yeah yeah so so uh, over the next, so so it got printed in seventy four, mm-hmm. and it it took off. It 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 filled. It was one of those things that, like, when nerds saw it, they hadn't realized they needed it until they saw it. Like it it filled a hole nobody had had realized existed. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the next two years, it evolved into what we would now recognize as really being Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, because there, there were supplements that then came out. They released the Greyhawk supplement, Blackmoor, uh, Eldritch Wizardry, and Gods, Demigods, and Heroes. I remember that book. Well, well no, I remember. Deities and Demigods. Yeah, Deities and Demigods, I was about to say. Which yeah. is later, yeah. which is a few years later. Okay. <clears throat> so so that's 74 to 76. We have OD&D. Mm-hmm. And um, there were only three alignments. Lawful, neutral, and chaotic. Oh wow! Which you know, some some you know other literary fantasy nerds uh, in our audience uh, are going to uh, twig uh, to that being uh, very much taken from Michael Moorcock's Eternal Champion series, where everything in the multiverse is a conflict between the gods of law and the gods of chaos. 
And so if you were good aligned, you were effectively lawful good because you were lawful. Mm-hmm. And if you were chaotic, you were effectively chaotic evil because the two were kind of synonymous, although not entirely. There, there was, it was the 70s, there was a lot of moral ambiguity kind of built into it. Um, and the whole thing was, was very primitive, very kludgy. And in retrospect, we can, we can kind of see that it was clearly kind of embryonic. It was, we, we have this idea, mm-hmm. we have this really, really big idea and, and the edges haven't quite been knocked off of it and, and other parts of it are still only kind of half baked, but, uh, it was also revolutionary. Um, you know, th- there had not been anything like it before. Um, and so, uh, very, very quickly competing systems, some of them in some ways superior because they're able to look at OD and D and go, okay, the concept is awesome, but we can do this thing better. Right. Right. Uh, uh, wound up, wound up proliferating, you know, almost immediately. Uh, you, you see, uh, Arduin Grimoire tunnels and trolls, and then I didn't I didn't look at the timeline on this, but if you look at the Palladium role playing system, mm-hmm. uh, Palladium Fantasy is uh, Dungeons and Dra- is is Dungeons and Dragons, you know, D twenty based roll, you know, a separate die for damage with a bunch of other rules tacked on mm-hmm. to fill in the gaps that just weren't there in the original O D and D system, and and the same kind of goes for Arduin Grimoire, kind of goes for Tunnels and Trolls too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, and, and those are just the most obvious cases that come to my mind, uh, or came to my mind as I was writing my notes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, and, and so the, the original game gave birth to an entire genre of game. Right. And, and created an entirely new niche within gaming because, because before that, you were you were a board game player or you were a tabletop war gamer or you know both right but but role playing games are intrinsically more i want to say social mhm or or they are they, they 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 intrinsically involve a different level of social interaction it's yeah. it's a different kind of thing like i mean you you can sit and spend you know, an entire evening playing risk with your friends and have a great time. And I'm not saying that's not social, but it becomes very different when you are putting on a persona in a role playing game. Yeah. I mean, risk is you are and and most board games and frankly, most uh, war games, you're interacting with the rules. And that is the lens through which you interact with the person across the table from you. Any socialization that happens is not part of the game. It is supplemental to the game in terms of, oh, that's what happens when we get together. But you are playing the game. Whereas in a role-playing game, um, you are contriving social interactions. Um, And so it's both more social and at the same time it cuts down on social interactions. Um, The organic kind in terms of, yeah, uh, in theory it does because the game master yeah. be like, "All right, guys, enough! Like, make your own knock podcast it, then." Knock Jesus, it off for yeah. God's sake! <laughs> Will the two of you quit nerding out over yeah. that shit? Can like, we can we roll some here. dice here? Come on, can you we know. can we can we kill some shit? Come yeah. on, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> not that we've ever heard that that directed at the two of us at a gaming the podcast table. as a result you know whatever yeah no whatever yeah <laughs> so so yeah I, I i like the way you phrase that mm-hmm. yeah and and so um and so this this was this was the genesis of a whole new kind of thing mm-hmm. and i have in my notes here uh, just just as a as a pet peeve, I have to say this. Uh, Dave Arneson is the Bill Finger of D and D history. Uh, okay. In our in our in our Batman series, I I spent a certain amount of time over the course of most of the series uh, talking about how Bill Finger got got screwed. Twenty eight point five percent. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't realize you'd actually tabulated oh, yeah. it, but that sounds about right. It's pretty I'm, easy. I'm a little yeah. surprised. I'm a little surprised it wasn't higher. Um, well, I kept but, interrupting. Okay, well, that's true. <laughs> but uh, uh, in in to me, in in an analogous kind of way, um, Gary Gygax is the guy that really hardcore D and D fanboys, nerds, whatever you want to say, uh, tend to hold up on a pedestal. He's you the know, Stan the Lee of D and D. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. he kind of is. Um, and he winds up getting. Very frequently, he winds up getting the lion's share of the credit for the development of the game. Dave Arneson was a teenager when when he he and Gary Gygax met up, and Arneson came up with a set of the Blackmore rules, mm-hmm. which were uh, a he he saw what he, he saw chainmail. And he saw what Gygax was doing with Chainmail, and he said, "I like all of that. I'm going to add some things to that." Mm-hmm. And so, st- several statistics were Arneson's idea, um, and and without, I, I could I could probably write an episode, a short episode, but an episode about exactly what what the interaction was there. Mm-hmm. But Arneson Arneson was responsible for for a significant number of the pieces of the game. Uh, that that make it recognizably D and D to us today, and um, Gygax wound up making most of the money off of it, right? Rather than Arneson, and so I just need to get that off my chest. Arneson deserves a lot more credit, and again, he's the Bill Finger of D and D history. So so they they had developed this game and they had put it out there. And then uh, in 75, they started up, uh, first off, they started the company, uh, Tactical Simulations Rules, TSR. Mm-hmm. And they started a magazine, The Strategic Review, also TSR, mm-hmm. um, as a newsletter and magazine to support, originally it was to support like tabletop war games in general and D&D specifically, but... Very quickly, it got separated into two separate magazines, uh, one specifically to focus on D&D and the other one for all of the tabletop wargaming stuff. And then it, and then eventually the wargaming-centered one got absorbed into the D&D one completely after seven issues. And so that was The Dragon, which later became Dragon Magazine. I remember that one. Oh, yeah. I, I spent so much money. In my in my adolescence, on, <laughs> on, on getting Dragon every month, um, and so Dragon was very was was role playing focused, 
uh, with with the lion's share of attention paid to D and D, but also to other role playing games. TSR developed Boot Hill, uh, a a Western mm-hmm. game. I remember uh, that one. Gamma World, a post apocalypse science fiction game. Um, uh, Top Secret was their espionage RPG. And, and all of those had articles in D&D, but the lion's share, uh, in, in Dragon, rather, sorry, but the lion's share of the magazine focused on stuff for Dungeons & Dragons. Mm-hmm. And so that meant uh, both the staff at TSR and players and dungeon masters in the community were developing new rules, new classes, new systems, setting ideas, all that kind of stuff. And between 76 and 77, a whole lot of this stuff got introduced in Dragon Magazine. Um, Gygax took all of it together, edited it, compiled it, and turned that into first edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. So we're seeing actually, um, not to spoil the ending, but like they still do the same model with uh, Unearthed Arcana. Game test, game test, game test, release a book that compiles yes. all of that. That's interesting. So it's yes. kind yeah. of open sourcey, but not quite like that's that's a hell of a model in in that yeah. they put it out there to the public and people would likely give feedback and stuff like that. So yeah. it's not like they're they're begging for content, but in some ways they have outsourced or open sourced um editing and review. Yeah. Uh, maybe not even officially, but they've done so. Yeah, yeah, they're getting they're they're getting ideas from outside their own editing staff. Now, some of the classes that showed up in Dragon never never became official because you know somebody's you know gaming group came up with it and it was just fucking broken. Right, um, right. You know uh, there were there were multiple different attempts to come up with a berserker class long before AD and D came up with the barbarian, mm-hmm. um, and and a lot of them were just. Oh, way, way, way broken. Right. So uh, that's that's just one example. Um, but so so first edition advanced Dungeons and Dragons uh, took all of the, a, a whole bunch, not all, but a whole bunch of these these ideas that the TSR staff and to a lesser extent, but it was there, uh, the community had 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 submitted. Uh, and then other stuff that had been printed in adventures and supplements, other all, all of those rules, mm-hmm. got rolled together into this new rule set. And so this uh, is again just reminder: this is first yeah. ed AD and D. Correct. And uh, so this is the one. Yeah. A lot of a lot of uh, a lot of folks will remember uh, the original cover of the player. The first printing cover mm-hmm. of the player's handbook uh, was the adventuring party uh, in the underground temple with the big leering kind of devil-looking statue with jeweled eyes that they yes. were. That, you know, the party the party thief was trying to carve the, the carve one of the eyes. Yeah. The eyes. Uh, now, of course, the version of the book that I remember is often referred to as the the blue cover or the wizard cover, which was the second printing mm-hmm. uh, several years later, which had a wizard fighting look looked like some kind of kind of uh, imp kind of kind of thing winged critter. Mm-hmm. It was easily it was an easily cover, um, 
And so anyway, that's that's that was this this was my introduction to the game when I was nine years old at a at a uh, gifted and talented program uh, in Hawaii. Um, there was there was a they they were actually having a you know learn how to play Dungeons and Dragons was a thing as in, for this enrichment program on Saturdays. Um, and I it I was hooked like nice. that was it. I was done like forever after that. Like, wait, 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 wait. You mean to tell me I get to do what now? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I play a paladin. Those don't exist yet. But I play a paladin. Oh no. By the time AD and D came out, they did. Oh, okay. There you go. AD the player's handbook included rules for paladins. Now paladins had been introduced in O D and D. Uh, somewhere between 76 and 77 as a uh, if you are a lawful fighter of this level you can become a mm-hmm. paladin uh, and then AD&D was like no no you just start out with this one at first level but huh, you really have to have to roll hot for stats um, that's right because it was it was very stat based yes yeah um, and so AD&D uh, was was very very much Gary's baby, like mm-hmm. he he edited it. He came up with a lot of the a lot of the systems. Um, it was released over the course of between seventy eight and seventy nine. Uh, the Monster Manual was actually the first book released. Uh, then the Player's Handbook, and then the Dungeon Master's Guide. Wait, what did people fight prior to the Monster Manual coming out? Well, in OD&D, like, if you bought an adventure, there would be stats for whatever monsters were there. Okay. Uh, and and in the supplements to the brown book, or brown box, uh, there there had been, you know, stats for monsters there. But this was, hey, we're updating the rules set. Here's what those monsters look like now. Right. <clears throat> By the way, if people want to find out more about first ed fighters and stuff like that, I strongly recommend they'd listen to episodes 22 and 23 of this very podcast. Yes. And you can learn a little bit about Gary Gygax's cultural assumptions there. Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking of cultural assumptions, also we did another episode on the history of orcs uh, yes. where you did, and that's episode 36. So yes, there you go. Yes. Thank you sure. for that. Yeah. Um, I had fun so, during those. <laughs> Pissed you off so bad. <laughs> oh my god. <clears throat> so, but the but the new rule set was way more detailed and way more granular than OD and D had been, and it is it is clearly recognizable to modern players as being okay. No, this this is this is very clearly the template on which modern D and D was built. Mm-hmm. Um, it introduced, as, as we've already talked about, it, it introduced new classes, um, and the alignment system that has now become like an internet meme. Even if you don't play D and D, you know, that, you know, Superman is lawful good. Batman might be neutral good, or he might be lawful evil, depending on which of the meme charts you look <laughs> at. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Hal Jordan is clearly neutral good, you know, it, like, right. you know, you, Actually, you see you know, those you all could, over. You could make the argument that Batman is is new, lawful <laughs> neutral. Oh yeah, he well, cares more those, about those, law than anything else. Yeah, there's there's one of those alignment charts that's all Batman. 
Well, 80 years will get you that. And it's, uh, and it's one of my favorites, frankly. And but, it, um, Frank Millerly. You know, um, yeah. Uh, I, if you want to hear about our takes on Batman, there were 10 goddamn episodes on it, and I'm never going back. <laughs> you can't make me. That's right. We did our time. Yeah. We did our time, <laughs> damn it. Yeah. So <laughs> I was there for Schumacher, man. You don't know. You don't know. You don't even know. You have no idea. You can't handle the nipples. <laughs> um so and and um if you if you take a minute to look at mm-hmm. the eight like like all of the systems that are involved in the AD and D rules, um, you get a really clear idea of the kind of dungeon master Gary Gygax was. Um, everything has a system. There is a die roll somewhere for everything. And the, the sad part of it is, uh, or, well, maybe not sad, sad's the wrong word. The, the difficult kind of, kind of clunky part of it is the systems don't really seamlessly interact with each other. (laughs) Like, like if you, if you decided, you know what, I'm going to drop my sword and I'm going to try to punch this son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. There was a whole system for fist fighting and, and overbearing. Overbearing. Uh, which, which was like, it, it got, it got introduced and explained in the original Unearthed Arcana book. Mm hmm. Which itself has an interesting history, uh, which I'll get into a little bit here in a minute, um, and it's incomprehensible. Hmm. Like, like it, 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 it. Is I, it is I, it like the grappling and, rules of three five? The grappling rules of three five are or three largely or three zero are are largely consistent with the way the rest of combat works. Okay, I get you. But this is another oh, grappling. Yeah. <clears throat> trying to trying to overbear an opponent in first edition AD and D was like, okay, we're gonna need to get out a separate battle mat kind of situation. Like sure. we're, we're gonna okay, like everybody else sit tight. Like like one of one of the one of the complaints about uh, Cyberpunk and uh, uh, Shadowrun was okay, uh, the the net runner is now gonna do his thing. Everybody else, you know, go get a drink, go do whatever you're gonna do because we gotta do this it's a separate game thing. Game within here. a game. Yeah. It's a game within a game. Yeah. And it's like it's 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 percentile based and it's really complicated and like just you know, look man, just just roll the die and figure it out. Like Gen- generously know. it was thorough. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I will uh, say uh, what I loved about the original uh, stuff, all the charts, all the this, all the that, I didn't like to be hemmed in by it. But at the same time, there were so many lists of stuff that I'd never thought of. And so oh, that yeah. was kind of cool, you know. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, generously, it was it was very thorough. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know... Um... So yeah, and I'm, and I'm gonna get, I'm gonna develop that more a little bit here in a minute, uh, and then all of this then got further fleshed out over the next several years mm-hmm. uh, via multiple supplements. There was the Monster Manual two deities and demigods. Mm-hmm. Uh, they released um, uh, the Dungeoneers and Wilderness Survival Guides as separate volumes. 
um, Oriental Adventures, uh, and very notably the settings for Dragonlance and the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Dragonlance setting in AD and D introduced. Uh, for the very first time, introduced the concept of spheres of influence for deities and clerics. Hmm. And it's the first place that we start seeing, well, you know, okay, you're a priest of Mishakal, so you get a bonus healing spell. You're a priest of Kirijolith, so you get prayer as a freebie. Nice. That's the first place we see that show up. Okay. Which then got, which then got carried forward in later editions of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're talking about settings, we also need to talk about the Forgotten Realms setting, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very, very big deal to anybody who who knows or plays D and D. Oh yeah. Uh, originally developed by Ed Greenwood and was originally uh, published in in a series of articles and in one thing after another that Greenwood, as a player and DM, submitted to Dragon Magazine and eventually TSR went to him and went you've put a lot of time and effort into this. Um, how about you come work for us and keep working on it full time? Nice. You know, so he's an ascended fanboy. In yeah. That way. Yeah. Um, oh, that should be a, 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 a character class. <laughs> well, it's, it's a trope. Yeah. Um, so that was a D and D first edition. Now, at the same time that was being developed, there was basic set Dungeons and Dragons, which was originally published in July of 1977, again, concurrent with the development of AD&D. And it was a simplified rule set, and it was sold as an introductory game and specifically packaged in a box so it could be put on the shelf of toy stores. Nice. And the original idea was exactly that. This is the basic set. This will get you started. You can play this game until your characters get up to about third level, and then you're going to want to go get the actual player's handbook and the DMG and Monster Manual and actually start playing, you know, AD&D. Um, so it's a feeder program. It, it's a way oh, yeah. of now Now we've got them hooked, and here we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But interestingly, in 1981, um, there had been enough response from the community with with players saying, you know, I actually really like the basic set rules better. Oh, really? Because all of that granular stuff is kind of overbearing and a pain in the ass. Gotcha. That makes sense. And so and so in 81, they they introduced the expert rules. In in a boxed set. Was this the red box set? Uh, the red box was the basic set. Expert okay. was the blue box. Oh. Now, did either of them... I'm sorry to keep interrupting, but Not now we're getting into the shit that I learned and grew up on. So mm-hmm. did either of them have polyhedral dice that were really awful colors that you would have to color in the numbers with a crayon? Like a puke green and a kind of shitty, <laughs> shitty yeah. tomato, overripe tomato red. Yeah, depending on depending on which print run you got, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd say yes. Okay. Um, and and yeah, they they frequently would come. The basic set I think came came often with a set of dice, mm-hmm. and yeah, they would they would be the kind that didn't have painted numbers. You'd have to fill them in yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, and and you know again, it's it's worth noting that uh, you know companies like Chessex, 
who who now are you know basically a dice company. That's what they do. Previously, they'd been a subsidiary of Nis- Nabisco, and they sold um, you know little crackers that taste like little, cheese. Yeah, yeah, nice, yeah, nice, good job, Thanks. good job, well done, yeah. well done. You're slipping them way into the way into the episode. Well, I was really uh, interested in all this other stuff, and I did bring yeah. up pescatarian. So that's true. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, we'll, d- we'll, in fairness, we'll, I was we'll, quoting we'll, that, but yeah. Yeah. So, but but uh, you know, dice companies, uh, printers of of other supplemental materials, publishers right. of other supplemental materials, they're all part of this new game ecosystem. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, I, I could be wrong. It could be that, you know, other other kinds of polyhedral dice were, well, I mean, they, they were already extant, but all of a sudden they had a whole new market. Yeah, of, you needed of people, them. You know, yeah. Um, and so, you know, created a great deal of growth within within that whole, again, business ecosystem. And so uh, the basic set, again, uh, led into the expert set after 81 and then that expanded through the companion set the master set and between companion and master that would take your characters all the way up to level 36 which like became this kind of magic number and then after level 36 you would go into the immortals set of rules which which was when your characters ascended from mortality to to essentially deityhood, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah. Which again we get into the Damien doesn't give a shit because you're becoming a god in a fictional game, like yeah yeah I want to go live a, a a world. Um, I you know here it, right right here <laughs> is a good point to point out that uh, producer George when I first met him. Um, he and I worked together at Egghead Computers. Okay. Uh, it was not even Egghead Software by that point. It was Egghead Computers by the time I got there. Now, I always get to things when they're on the downslope. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, I shut down business after business after business in Walnut Creek. It was <clears> great. Uh, but um, when we worked together, uh, we talked about gaming. We also lived together shortly after working together. Is how he became my best friend. Um and he talked about gaming and everybody has the story of that one gamer who wanted to win. Yeah. And he told me the story of his one gamer who wanted to win, who had a level 40 wizard or some shit like that or, or wizard rogue or, yeah, okay. you know, whatever. Yeah. 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 And yeah. how the guy like <clears throat> arrogantly blundered into a thing and they're like, well, wait, we're going to throw some marbles out to see if like it's pressure plate. You know, because dungeon traps was oh yeah, well, save yeah, or die. You know, genre. Yeah, and he got crushed by a stone falling on him. Um, Rocks fall, everybody dies. Yeah, you know, and he get yeah. and his his fortieth level character or whatever it was at that time um, got crushed and died, and he started crying. And I'm sitting there going like, like oh, like you got a guy who came into your game with a high level character couldn't he just pretend that that game didn't happen? And, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's a weird level of integrity that happens there, you know, in this yeah, investment oh yeah. and, and, you know, you're building the, the, but yeah, he, he, you know, and he can tell us all about this in, in a recording if he wants and I'll happily yeah. tack it on. Um, oh, but yeah. he also talked about uh, a level 36 or 46 level 
wizard that had a castle in the clouds that you know that he enjoyed and and stuff like oh, yeah. that um so it's just it's interesting you bring up the the super high level because by the time i really got into D, um you topped out at 20th because it was level you know it was, it was yeah. 3.0 yeah. Um, but okay. So, uh, you, you get up to level 36 and then after that you ascend to Godhood. Um, kind of funny. They didn't go to level 49, just given the biblical implications of that. Um, but cool. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I, I don't know where 36 became the number, but that was, that was how they did it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so within, within the basic set, kind of stuff within the, within the basic Dungeons and Dragons rules. Um, TSR uh, eventually wound up abandoning the basic set rules in 95 uh, because there, there was not the same level of uh, business to be done. Okay. They, it, it didn't, it didn't have the same level of following. Um, and some magic year. Man. I, and I kind of think I, frankly, I kind of think they, they, there was a whole bunch of stuff that they developed for it. Uh, one one really important thing is the world of Mistara got got developed originally as as the setting for the basic game, mm-hmm. as opposed to Greyhawk, which was the default setting for AD and D. Uh, and they wound up putting out a whole series of stuff about Mistara, and a, and it was a really great gazetteer series of supplements. And a whole lot of AD&D players wound up taking those supplements and like running with them in AD&D games. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, this is a simplified rule set. We can just, you know, adapt this to the other game. Um, and and then I think they just kind of ran out of steam with it. Um, okay. And and so the basic set went went the way of the dodo in '95. And kind of part of my thesis is that this is really where the roots of the edition wars are found uh within the community there's kind of there's this lore that gygax was a champion rules lawyer mm, i'm not surprised like 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 i said systems mm-hmm. for everything uh and and like down to there are different rules in AD&D for a glaive and a fauchard fork. And for those of us that aren't Ed and our listener <laughs> in Italy, uh, what is what is the difference so between a, a glaive a, a and glaive, a, a fauchard fork? A a both of them. What I'm gonna what I'm first thing I'm gonna say is what they have in common. Okay. Both of them are medieval pole arms. They are they are weapons on the end of a stick. Okay, I could have told you that. Okay, a glaive okay. is essentially a a a, a slicey weapon right. on the end of a stick. It's it's like take a really big knife, it's a dowel, and put it right? on the end of a stick. Yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. actually, yes. Uh, and <laughs> here I am shark. criticizing, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's like a dowel, right? Okay, like, cause, yeah, you know, yeah, it's like a, yeah, because everybody's gonna know what the fuck that is. <laughs> <laughs> I do, but yeah. everybody knows I'm a I'm a weapons nerd. Yeah. So, but then a, but then a falchard fork is a combination uh weapon that that has a a kind of hooked blade on one end and then like a fork like prong sticking off the back side of it so that you can you can stick somebody and you can hook them and pull them off of a horse wow okay basically okay and so and so here's the deal i mean yes i understand why 
if you want to really get granular, you would you would want to have a different set of set of rules for that. Sure. But when those rules don't actually include a meaningful system for, okay, how mechanically do I grab somebody and pull him off of his horse? The difference between them is a difference in speed factor, their performance against armor, which was a big chart in in first edition AD&D, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and the damage done. Like Glaive did like 1d6 and Fauchard Fork did like 1d4 plus 1. Like, I mean, I mean, okay. I get it. it. It's it it gets tiresome. Like at, at at the back of there's actually a very informative, fairly well written article at the at the back of uh, uh, the original Unearthed Arcana, mm-hmm. which is a which is Gygax writing like a dissertation on the different the development of different pole arms over the course of, of European history. Okay. Which fascinating. Like, on on the one hand, if you're if you're the kind of nerd I am, that's mm-hmm. really interesting. But for an awful lot of gamers, it's like, why why the fuck is this here? Right. I want to hit monsters over the head and take their shit. Why do I care? You know? And so um and and additionally, and this is really important, uh, mm-hmm. Gygax in in a lot of his writing in Dragon Magazine, you can really tell that he is the father of the DM needs to be the player's antagonist school of thought. Like make the traps lethal, save right. or die. Right. You know if they're not if they're not 110 percent on their game all the time, fuck them. Like you know. Mm-hmm. Um. On the other hand, Arneson... This is who, advanced Dungeons & Dragons. It's advanced. 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 You need to be thinking, right? Arneson, on the other hand, was uh, much much more of a... This is a collaborative game. We're all here to have fun. Um, he was more involved with the basic rules set. And he advocated for more freeform, collaborative, we're not here to win kind of gaming. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm speaking in, in, as you like to say, I'm painting with a broad brush because it saves time. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of the, the roots of, I, I, I would argue the ideological differences between people who are attached to different editions of the game. Some lend more toward that and others less so. Yes. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. And I could definitely see if you were one of the OGs who came up on OD&D, then yeah. uh, you would absolutely just be, again, we talk all the time about the fish not noticing that it's swimming in water. That would just be the water you swam in because you came from, um, you know, uh, Battle of Waterloo miniatures games. You came from... Rules govern everything so that it's fair and literally measured out. Um, so you came from that. So how far can you come from that into a theater of the mind kind of game? The answer is about that far because otherwise yeah. it would have come farther. So I could absolutely see people like, okay, and this is where I'm comfortable and I have mastered this because yes. that's the other thing is like you want to table someone a phrase that you used before mm-hmm. um you know you want to best them it is it is inherently adversarial 
Um, and so, yeah, I could absolutely see those folks getting that on. Whereas somebody who picked up the Red Box edition at Toys R Us, yep. playing with their friends and wanting to have fun, um, possibly it depends. And even kids back then would cut one way or the other because, again, these oh, yeah. are the rules and stuff like that. But I could absolutely see people going the other way. Oh, yeah. Did I ever tell you that my dad used to play miniatures uh, measure your mount games? It was actually one of the first memories I have of meeting my dad. I'm adopted by him. Um, yeah, and yeah. he met he, my mom and myself when I was four going on five, I want to say. And he had all of those. So one of my first memories was helping him. I said the Battle of Waterloo on purpose, helping him uh, set out his Prussian soldiers that he had painstakingly painted, you know, and they're in like four by five squares of mm-hmm. each guy, oh, yeah. you know. Ranked up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, so what's one of my first memories? He has reached out to me recently. It's not like it's not like we're out of touch or anything, but he uh, he listens to this podcast. Hi, Dad. Um, and uh, he's probably sick of our statting people out D&D stuff because, you know, it's <laughs> indulgent. Um, but, uh, he, he told me that he used to play, uh, miniatures games with Gary Gygax on the regular. Really? Yeah. Okay. So. Then I want to, I want to hear what he has to say. I will, uh, dad, go ahead and text brush. me, uh, I, yeah. as much of a narrative or just put it in, uh, Facebook messenger as much as you want, dad. And I will, um, copy that and send that to Ed so he can read it. So, All right. All right. So anyway, back to what you were saying. Yeah, so now I want to I want to step away because we we've now gotten up to seventy nine, mm-hmm. um, and I want to step away for just a second <clears throat> to to get into the and this is where we bring it into the real world part of the podcast. So in in both forms, uh, Dungeons and Dragons became a sensation. By nineteen eighty one, there were more than three million players worldwide. Uh, TSR grew rapidly into Mm -hmm. a 500-pound gorilla in the game industry Mm -hmm. because they were the first ones to come up with this idea and, you know, they they had the advantage there because of it. Like I just mentioned, there was a whole industry that wound up uh, growing up around it, Uh, you know, dice miniatures, all that kind of stuff, which had existed before, but mm-hmm. now there was this whole new branch and this whole new niche in this whole new microclimate, if you will, within within that that ecosystem. Sure. Um, that that you know was was dominated by TSR, and I would argue that wargaming in general wound up growing uh, out of the soil that D and D kind of dug up. You know, D&D broke up the ground, introduced more people into the milieu of tabletop gaming. So the dragon's the teeth, if you will. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, very nice analogy. Thank yes. you. Um, and then other games grew around Dungeons and Dragons. Some of them were fantasy. Many of them were other genres. There were, you know, Traveler comes out, you know, a couple of years later as, you know, one of the really first, you know, semi-hard science fiction games. Um, but they're all responding to the core ideas of Dungeons and Dragons in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And then that led to a huge mainstream backlash in 
the in the late seventies as AD and D was coming out uh, in the late seventies and into the nineteen eighties. And I want to I want to talk about what was going on in that era. So of course we're talking about a huge rightward shift in the uh, dominant politics. Mm-hmm. Of both the United States and the UK, as we've spoken in our episodes dealing with Conan, as well as uh, Warhammer. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Reaganism and televangelism mm-hmm. are on the rise in the United States, um, and there was, of course, all of the massive insecurity involved in the Cold War, mm-hmm. uh, combined with the insecurity of the multiple fuel crises and everything else that had happened. Everybody was shaken up. Everybody was angry. Everybody was worn out. And at the same time, there was this bizarre rise of a mass hysteria around Satanists. As I had talked about when I was dealing with some of my Batman issues. Yes. Yes. Um, and, 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 and there were these, these, like the, the biggest one, of course, uh, was a, a huge conspiracy theory that, that we can kind of see the roots of, of QAnon in now where suddenly people started telling stories about kids in daycare centers, mm-hmm. specifically in Florida, being, Montessori yeah. schools. Yeah. Yeah being being subjected to satanic rituals mm-hmm. um and it's 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 just fucking nuts oh yeah and and into that environment of course now you see AD&D showing up <laughs> where there's magic and mm-hmm. there's all of these fantasy elements and in the monster manual of course mm-hmm. there is an entire section devoted to if your party wants to go up against the forces of hell, here are all of the types of devils they might run into. Right. And by the way, we've statted out Asmodeus at the same time. Mm-hmm. And Beelzebub and several others, Monster Manual 2, went into more detail with him at the same time. If you want to go into the abyss and face the forces of chaotic evil, here are demons. Right. And these are all the different types of demons. And here are a few named demon lords. And of course, so you have this environment where there's this mass panic about Satanism. Right. Now, real quick, they statted out demons and devils. I noticed that you left out imps, and it's because they're notoriously hard to stat out because, as we all know, impin ain't easy. It's also why you don't have rules about getting injured. It's just you you live and live and live until you die because statting out how it affects someone's gait is also difficult because limping ain't easy. Nice. You know what? I ain't even mad this time. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm just going to let you have those. Sure. Because that's that's actually those, those, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm in a mood, I'm... It hasn't been a good day, sir. So hey, what? What was the name of the the guy who did all the fantasy drawings? Boris something or other. I forget. Vallejo. Vallejo. Yeah, Boris Vallejo. Oh, you're, he, thinking, you're thinking of Vallejo. Yes. Yes. Um, and I noticed that all the women always had really, really like flowing locks of hair, and it's because yes. uh, the difficulty because in the '80s everybody had like curly, semi-permed hair, and the reason is because drawing hair flowingly is a lot simpler 
than drawing it with like little kinks in it because crimping ain't easy. <sighs> that one, that one. Good day, sir. <laughs> you would, one, you would totally. That one makes me mad. <laughs> if we that were in person, you would be like baring your teeth and throwing your poo at me. But since we're on <laughs> Skype, you can't because yeah. chimping ain't easy. Chimping ain't easy. And I'm back to like not even being mad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so D and D published these materials that that included you know named like lords of hell, right? Uh, and of course, this is at the same time that uh, you know heavy metal music and rock and roll you bands play it backwards are, and, are yeah, yeah. The, the whole oh, backward so record bullshit like. Yep. You know, you're really gonna fuck up your needle. You know, yeah. is is the. <laughs> I don't remember who the comic was, but but I remember the same was, one. Was, yeah, yeah, I remember it's the going the wrong way. It's going, going the wrong, wrong way. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and I mean, there was just this paranoiac, crazy. Which is funny and because so, they were also really upset about black people having their own music with like the turntables. And yeah. that's why they started turning them backwards because it was harder to to get the the because skipping ain't easy. Nice, thank you. Nice. So, uh, and and also it should be noted <laughs> in these same printed materials there were there there was nudity in in the original artwork for the monster manual. There yeah. were several monsters that involved naked ladies. I was confused uh, with harpies because there were boobs, but they were harpies. But like, yeah. But they were harpies, so it was gross. But there were boobs, and boobs. like, I wanted to fall yeah. in love with them, but I couldn't because simping ain't easy. Nice, nice. Yeah, nobody was confused by the succubus image though in the original Ooh. monster manual. Yeah. Pretty sure. Um, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, and and like like this level of this this level of crazy about about dungeons and dragons specifically uh, actually came i don't want to say to to fruition but one of the things that resulted from it was a very young tom hanks uh starring in a tv movie mm-hmm. entitled mazes and monsters yes which was based on the rather tragic story of a schizophrenic student at the university of michigan who wound up uh, having an episode and, you know, as I recall, he died mm-hmm. uh, in steam tunnels or something under the university. I don't remember the details, but the press made a really big deal about how he'd been a very, very avid, like unhealthy avid player of Dungeons and Dragons. And that, that people, the mainstream uh, uh, opinion was that you know well clearly this had damaged him right and you know to to psychoanalyze a little bit here the worries about daycare centers mm-hmm. I think can pretty convincingly be traced to the idea that all of a sudden, a, a very significant, maybe not a majority, but a very significant number of mothers were having to hand their kids over to other people to look after during the day because they were working. Because no-fault divorce had 
recently been introduced and women were actually able to get out of horrible abusive relationships and people could actually divorce when they were unhappy yes. and that meant you had a whole bunch more single folk and of course that burden falls much more on the moms because yes. typically you know you had the homemaker or not but there's always the depression of women's wages there's the very stark reality of you know making 70 cents to the dollar you know and yeah. at that time by the way um apartment complexes could straight up deny you rental if you had a child yes so yeah the the whole thing like all that anxiety is baked into that and it's it is epidemic because you are starting to see larger and larger numbers of single parents especially in the yes. 80s yeah oh yeah and so we we don't know what they're really up to with our kids during the day. Right. And then the corollary to that is my teenager and his friends are sitting in the garage or the basement for hours at a time playing this game. And I hear voices, you know, I, I hear them, you know, talking about magic spells and, right. you know, Beelzebub. And I, I, you know, flip through their books to see what they're up to. And I see naked women and... Mm -hmm. You know, and like, what are it's it's what are they doing with my kid, with the daycare centers, and it's what is my kid up to, mm -hmm. with with D and D, and so we we see this huge level of of crazy, mm -hmm. like for lack of a better word, it's this paranoiac, like nuts kind of reaction to it, and I think I'm gonna pause there. Okay. Because, Good idea. You know, speaking speaking of of you know kind of schizophrenic kind of issues, uh, I, I also want to get into what the media, uh, popular entertainment landscape looked like at the same time, and I think we can kind of start with that. I like it. Uh, next time around, so now based on this, mm -hmm. and we've only just gotten into the beginning of, of what we're talking about here, but <laughs> what do you, what do you, what what do you take away right now? Well, I mean, we grew up at this time. You know, and so oh, yeah. like I and, and I don't mean this actually as a way to make fun of your uh, advanced age compared to mine. But um, I <laughs> I mean, I do with that comment, but yeah, the but, rest of but, this actually isn't. Um, yeah. But it's that I I was below the age of real consciousness at that at, at, during a lot of this. You know, I was mm -hmm. just kind of floating like a leaf on the wind, as it were. Um, Thanks. Thank yeah. Thank yeah. you. Uh, figure uh, the, the jokes will come out in the wash. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, too soon. yeah, too soon. <laughs> there, did you see that thing where it was, um, make a nerd cry in five words? <laughs> and it was, uh, like a leaf on the wind. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's uh, good. So, anyway. So, yeah. Uh, I was coming of age, or I wasn't coming of age. I was, I was coming into the age of consciousness. You were coming of age. Um, producer George was coming of age. Like, you guys were getting into it as prodigious kids who like that kind of stuff would do at that age, right? Um, so, a lot of it missed me. I didn't, I wasn't really, like, I was baked into it already. Um, but a lot of it missed me. So I came to it a little bit later after it had already, you know, risen up, settled, risen up, settled. Like the souffle had gone flat a couple times by that point. <laughs> um, and yeah. so I, you know, my my experience was not a loyalty to that system necessarily. 
but the world was always kind of interesting. Um, now, what I what I find interesting though is is what the confluence of D and D, Satanic Panic, um, Evangelicalism, uh, you know, ultra conservatism taking taking a foothold. Um, mass media starting to market toward all that, by the way. Um, youth groups becoming very popular in churches as a way to keep kids out of trouble. Um, all those kinds of things. Dare. All those kinds of things. That's where I'm coming in. And so I didn't really see like those kinds of connections as they were happening. I look back as an historian and go, yep, yeah, they're all there. Um, but I didn't, as, as Adam Savage might say, well, there's your problem. Yeah. But I didn't, um, I didn't, I didn't get any of the benefits of the cool shit that was freaking out the parents. Um, really? I mean, you know, my first introduction okay. to D and D ultimately was through my dad. Yeah. You know? And I mean, there was a game that we played on the computer and dad shout out when you find this, um, like there was an, it was a text-based game only. Um, on the computer and you would just read the thing and you would, you know, choose, you know, you'd hit this button or this button and it would take you to the next part, you know, Zork. I, I don't think it was Zork though. Cause we, we always did oh, okay. off brand shit. Like when kids had okay. Nintendo, I had the sad ass Sega. Um, but you know, the one that like opened up to press is Sega, you know, that one. Uh, so <laughs> I didn't even have that. So, yeah. You know, but like I and by the way, that's another thing that was coming up at that same time was gaming systems and things like that. Yeah. So I just I find it so interesting that behind all of these things that I just took for granted, um, there was an entire ecosystem, as you had said. Um, and I, I, you know, again, I only was touching the artifacts um, as kind of like cool things that were around. I wasn't diving into them and nor was I aware of all these things of the development and stuff like that. So it's, it's been really interesting to hear about a time that I lived, um, with my historian ears. Um, you only adopted Thaco. <laughs> exactly. I was raised in it. Yes. Um, you know, I didn't really learn. I did not see a positive armor class until I was a man. <laughs> yeah. You know, but like I, I mean, I played, I played A D and D second ed if such a thing exists, and I might be calling them yeah. word things. Okay, I played that. That was as an adult. <laughs> like I played that when I was yeah. eighteen. You know, like that's what I started on, and that's basically yeah. when I started. Doesn't mean I hadn't been exposed, but, and I'm a big old nerd and stuff like that. But so it's it's just really interesting to, like, learn about the ecosystem that is behind it all it's it's mm. yeah so thank you for that all right very cool so, yeah so hey uh so what you reading lately what uh what do you want to recommend to folks what do i want to recommend to folks um i am right now reading a lot of student work and i do not recommend that to anyone no nor i um but i am going to recommend uh, very strong, even though I'm not reading it right now. Uh, the original Dragonlance trilogy Ooh. is a beloved, beloved, beloved series to a great many people, and I am one of them. Um, How it, old it is, it is, would a person have to be to appropriately enjoy it? I picked them up for the first time in middle school. 
okay. or what we now call middle school. I was in, was it eighth grade or ninth? I want to say I was in the eighth grade. Would my, you know, you know, my daughter, would precocious, my precocious, prodigious daughter who yes. has read so many things. There is not anything in it that would be inappropriate for her. Awesome. Birthday gift coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, cool. Uh, definitely very highly recommended. Awesome. Um, so how about you? Uh, I've got two recommendations tonight. Uh, the first one I'm going to recommend is Art and Arcana. Well, Dungeons and Dragons, Art and Arcana. I bought this for my daughter for Christmas, and it's a visual history, and it's all the art that ever got put into D&D. Okay, wait. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. on on. I mean, like, right off the bat, I want this book. Mm-hmm. One of the points I just made was that, of course, much of the original artwork mm-hmm. uh, involved, you know, nakedness. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay. Right. It's just part of the, you know, part of the landscape. Yeah. Like, okay. you know, in my okay. house, there are books that talk about the Greek gods, and there's, there's pictures of statues, and they're naked and stuff okay. like that. So she understands that it's a art thing. Um, okay. so yeah, art and arcana, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, art and arcana. It's cool. really good. It is a wonderful trip down memory lane. It explains the shit out of things. Um, there's, uh, an Amazon, uh, documentary called in the eye of the beholder that does a very similar job. Um, I think you I should have not seen it yet. You but should I really enjoy want that. To. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and the other thing I'm going to recommend because, uh, I think it'll be very, very helpful for people in the next episode is the order of the stick <laughs> which my daughter has read all of several times and in fact she sent me yeah all all of all of them yeah like uh, all the way through book 6 wow yeah okay. like you know i tell her to go to bed at 8 thir- 8 o'clock and don't stay up reading past 8:30 so then she stays up to 10 reading reading those um and she i mean she knows them backward and forward she knows the jokes she reads me the jokes again and again Mm -hmm. she sent me a picture today uh had her mom text me the picture um of uh she made uh ilan the uh the bard out of (laughs) play-doh nice you know i just she's she's crazy about it so yeah so i recommend order of the stick it is a very tongue-in-cheek uh wonderful job by rich burlew um, of kind of uh, a send up of Dungeons and Dragons, so a loving parody. It really is. So, and it's a yeah. good story too. It ends up being oh, a good yeah. story. So, oh yeah, yeah. So, All hey, right. where can people find you on the social media if they want to send you their favorite uh, character story? On the social media, and I would love to hear them. By the way, mm-hmm. if you're listening to this, um, you know, I for a certain percentage of our audience, I've already heard them because you know I was there when they happened. But for anybody who's who's you know not one of those folks, um, or even if you are, you can send those stories to me at eh blaylock on Twitter or eh blaylock on uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. And if, of course, you want to uh, tell us collectively that we have uh, completely butchered some aspect of this history, you can let us know at Geek History Time mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter. And how about you? Where can they find you? 
You can find me uh, at Duh Harmony on the Twitter and the Instagram. There's two H's in the middle of that. Uh, you can find me right here uh, on this here podcast. Uh, in fact, do us a favor. Uh, if you're on Stitcher, if you're on Spotify, or if you're on the iTunes store, uh, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. doesn't cost you anything. Rate, review, give us the five stars you know we deserve. Uh, if you think we deserve less, give us the five stars. Um, it's pandemic. What do you want? Uh, but, um, yeah, we're trying. We, we really are quite so. I mean, for a year now, we've You're been patients frequently, but you know, <laughs> for a year now, we've been away from each other. So we don't even have that in the same room, uh, dynamic vibe. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, it still kicks ass. So subscribe, uh, and tell your friends. Oh my God. Tell your friends. If you don't like it, shut the hell up. Uh, but, uh, tell your friends, uh, to subscribe cause there's something for everybody on this podcast. Uh, you can also find me every Tuesday night, uh, on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns. Uh, that's where you can find me slinging puns professionally. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's about it. Uh, for a geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling twenties.